Thanks, man. All right. Well, it's already been said, but good morning again. We're glad you guys are here. If you're brand new to our church, I've been meeting a lot of new people. I've also met a bunch of people that are kind of returning to MCC. You've been gone for a while. And I just want you to know, we don't think of you as like a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. Like, um, no, we think of you really as you're part of the mission. Like, we know that God's bringing people into this church because we have a mission to fulfill. We're going to change our county. We're going to change our community. We're going to see our city changed by the gospel of Christ. And even the nations are going to be reached, amen, through this church. And so if you're here, we know it's for purpose. We know that God's got a mission for your life, and it's part of what God's doing at our church. And so um, Dwayne, I think, said it earlier. What's great about MCC, better than our leadership, is definitely the people that are in our pews. You guys are just crushing it and doing amazing things for God. And so if you're brand new, just know that like the people that you're sitting around, they are accomplishing huge things for the kingdom of God. They're changing the world around them. And so uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. And we believe God's going to do something great through your life at MCC. Probably even just as much or more than he's going to do something great in your life. Y'all ready? Last week, we, we talked through uh, Joshua chapter 3 and, a, and part of Joshua uh, chapter 4, talking about the, the crossing of the Jordan River into the promised land that God had promised to Abraham 450 years earlier. Um, and so we, that was kind of a one-off, going to be a standalone message. Um, but this week, we kind of got back into some prayer and just felt like God wanted us to stay in the book of Joshua for a number of weeks. And so we're going to take probably between five and seven weeks uh, just to go through a good portion of the book of Joshua. And we believe God's going to really speak to us through this about what God has in front of us. We are in a shift as a church. We're in a kind of a, it's a leadership shift, but I also believe that God's brought us into a new season. And I think God's going to do some exceptional things uh, in and through your lives and through our church. But Joshua is, I would say, apart from the coming of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Joshua is the biggest shift that we see in Scripture. This nation coming out of slavery in Egypt, through the wilderness, and now into the promises of God. And so I believe God's going to speak to us about what it means to step into a new season. We're calling this series Uncharted. Uh, it's all about new territory, new things that God's bringing us into. And so we believe God's going to speak to us. And so let's just have ears that are open to hear what he wants to say to our lives as a church and also individually. Many of you are stepping into new seasons where you're maybe just getting married, just having kids. Maybe you're in retirement now and maybe it's a new job, whatever it may be, but you're in a new season, uncharted territory. And I believe God's going to use this, this story in scripture to speak to you right where you're at. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul makes a statement about the Old Testament scriptures. He says, these things, these people and their stories were given to us as examples of how we should walk. And uh, so when we look at Old Testament stories, we see kind of real life pictures that relate to us in spiritual ways. Next week, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the walls of Jericho coming down. So if we want to take Richmond for Christ, we don't march around it seven times, right? We pray and we intercede and we fast and we preach the gospel and we do these things that we, God's given us, but they are not carnal weapons. They are weapons that are spiritual, right? So we have new weapons now and we have a new mission that God's given us. And so as we look at Old Testament stories, we're not going to necessarily take uh, some of the examples that are kind of the physical examples. We're going to take from those things spiritual uh, application for our lives. Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, you know this passage, it says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So Paul's telling us there that, hey, you don't wrestle against people, right? People are not your enemy, 
right? That politician is not your enemy. There are spirits that are behind movements, for sure. They're influencing demonic spirits. That's the enemy. We know who our enemy is. As a church, God's given us weapons to fight against that enemy, not against people. And so we're going to grab some great things out of Joshua as we go through it. Now, before we get into the book, we're going to be in chapter 5 today. But before we get into it, I want to set up this study through Joshua uh, with a little bit of preface. Because in the book of Joshua, we're going to find some pretty significant tensions and difficulties, okay? As we look through it, we're going to see some things that I would say are pretty brutal and violent, even genocidal, and some things that God will ask his people to do that if we look at them kind of just like reading the text, they will be a little bit shocking to us, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so as, we, as, as the first five books have, have begun to set up the character of God, as Moses writes what we call the Torah, the first five books of Scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, I those two are backwards. Um, those first five books have set up who God is and what he's like. In Exodus 20, which you'll know it as the Ten Commandments chapter, this statement is made about God. Check this out. God says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Listen to this. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But then he goes on, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now that ratio is important for us to understand, right? So God is saying that my natural bend is toward love and kindness. I love to show love. In fact, I'm going to do it at a rate of a thousand to three or four. But there are times where I will punish people who hate me, people who are disobedient, people who are violent, people who have sinned in gross ways. There are times where I will, as a just God, bring judgment. Now, for us as kind of, you know, 21st century Christians, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of a deception, I would say, almost in the church where we've made the, the love of God the supreme characteristic of God, right? Where we've kind of said that God is love, so therefore, love must be his most dominant characteristic. But the, char- but the character of God is more like the spokes of a wheel. Remember when you rode a bike as a kid? And every spoke was important to keep it all in balance, right? And so the character of God is all an equal character. The justice of God is equal to the kindness and mercy of God, right? The holiness of God is equal to the love of God. God does not say this is bigger and this is less. The character of God, he is just as holy as he is loving and kind. And so for us, in this kind of this 21st century mentality, we elevate parts that honestly in Scripture are not elevated. Okay? The bend of God is toward kindness and love, but that does not mean that God is not a God of justice. He is just. So when, when a, and I'm going to give you a little bit, let me just kind of set this up by saying this. I'm going to just put a trigger warning out there. I'm going to talk about something in just a moment that is pretty vile and intense. But I think it's important for us to understand as we begin to read through the narratives of, of Joshua, that we understand where the heart of God is and the justice of God when it comes to these nations that are going to be br- brutally removed from this land. Okay? So I'm going to set it up. And so if you have a hard time with that, you may want to plug your ears, go onto Facebook, something, like pull your phone out. Because I'm going to talk about what was, what was already the inhabitants of this land and what they were like. They were 
pagan uh, people, idol-worshiping people, and they had the practice of pagan people in that land. And so uh, they did a lot of things that were very violent, very brutal. It was tons of sexual immorality and prostitution and all these things that were associated with uh, worshiping the gods of that area, the gods like um, uh, Baal that was in that area. So they, as they worshiped these gods, their practices of worship were incredibly vile and disgusting, okay? And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what that was um, just so you kind of understand as we get into this book what they were removing from the land. Okay, so one of the practices that God hated, and he said it over and over again in Scripture, was the practice of child sacrifice. Okay, I'm going to describe a little bit of what that was like in, in their practice. So in the worship of Baal, you would bring the firstborn child to be sacrificed to this God. And the way that the Baal idol would be set up was the, the Baal idol had a furnace in the abdomen of the idol. And then it had hands that were outstretched like this. And they would stoke the fire inside of that idol to a point where the hands would be red hot that stuck out from the idol. And they would come, the priest would take the child from the parents and would go over and lay that child on the hands of that idol. And as the child would scream out in pain, the priest called that the smile of Baal. That moment was referred to as the smile of Baal. And then as the child sat there on the hands, scolding hot, the priest would then push the baby down into the furnace in that idol. Now, 450 years earlier, when God made a covenant with Abram, I want you to see what he said to Abram about the people that were in this land. This is 450 years earlier. Look at what he says. He says, Abram, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. There are places in Canaan where you, they have excavated and they have found graveyards where tens of thousands of babies' corpses have been found that were sacrificed to these demon gods. And so when God says to Abram, the sins of the Amorite people have not yet reached their full measure. This is nearly 500 years later, and the time has come for judgment. So when God says he doesn't delight in punishment, to the third and fourth generations he'll punish those, right, who have been disobedient and hated him. But to a thousand generations he'll love. His bend is toward mercy and love. But at some point, God will bring judgment. And so for us to begin to, to read through Joshua and you're going to see things and you're going to be like how, like, how do I reconcile that with a God that is also loving? But you have to understand that what he was punishing in the people of this land was so grotesque. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of babies had cried out to God and their blood was on these people. And so God comes to clean house. So for us to look at that and, and, and wonder how can God do that, first of all, Isaiah 55 says that God's ways and thoughts are much different than ours, right? Like we know a couple of things. We know that there's only one God and we know that we're not him. So we know that much. We know that God does things that we don't understand. At the same time, can we look at the sins of this nation and can we say the sins of that nation should not be punished? And then I would take it a step farther can we bring it a little closer to home? We just prayed a few minutes ago about what is happening all over our nation. 4,000 babies a day being killed 
Could we possibly say God would not be just in punishing us? Could we possibly say that God would not be just in eliminating the United States of America? When the sins of hundreds of, the, the cries of hundreds of thousands of babies have gone to heaven, could we possibly say that God would not be just to punish our nation? I don't think we could. So when we look at this passage, I, just want, to, I want to set it up by just helping you understand some of the context of what's happening in this culture. And as God will ask the people to remove from this land the inhabitants, that as, the, as they do, as brutal as it may seem, as violent as some of these things would be, just remember it took 500 years of God patiently waiting for this moment to come. It was 500 years. And who knows how long before that where their sins had not reached their fullness. And at this point, when they cross the Jordan River, it's time. Amen? Y'all with me? All right. Hey, can I go back to one, one thing I said before, just about fighting with spiritual weapons and what God's given us? This week we have prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Prayer meeting. Okay. These are the weapons we fight with. Amen? So I'm going to ask you, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again today. If you're going to go to one service this coming week, go to Wednesday night. You can skip Sunday morning. I won't care. I'll just you can sleep in, but go to Wednesday night. Okay? If you want to go to both, feel free to go to both. All right, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But I want us to put a priority, a premium on that Wednesday night permitting every month because this is how we fight our battles. We pray. We seek God. There are things that, that we're going to accomplish on Wednesday night that we can never accomplish Sunday morning. As, as wonderful as this moment is, the moment that's going to accomplish the most, I believe, for us is going to be Wednesday night. That we're going to, we're going to find things in that place that will bear fruit in other places, Right? that we're going to accomplish things in the secret place that are going to be rewarded openly, that we're going to see souls come into the kingdom because of what we accomplished on Wednesday night in prayer. And so I'm just going to ask you, let's make that a priority. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we'll end right about 8 o'clock, but let's pray. All right? Joshua chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Here we go. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up a Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Now, I love this. Let's stop right there for one second. Now, these people expected that Israel was going to be stopped by this river, right? If they had to like, like walk around the Dead Sea or something like that and find their way around. But they had gotten across this river like without any like any harm, any loss of people, God brought them right across. And here they are at the door of Jericho, and these people are freaking out. I wanted to say this real quickly. You should not be afraid of your enemy. He should be afraid of you. Amen. Come on. If you begin to understand how strong you are in Christ, if you begin to understand what the Bible says, the greater is he in you, than he who's in the world. If you begin to see who you are in Christ and the power that you have within you in the Holy Spirit, you would know that you have nothing to fear and Satan has everything to fear from your life. Amen? God is bigger in you than anything you will face outside of you. You are not a victim. You are called to be a victor. God has called us to be victorious. And so just like this story we see right here, in a spiritual way, the enemy is scared to death of any believer who begins to understand who they are in Christ and begins to use the weapons that God has given us to fight the battle God's put before us. All right, verse 2. 
At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, this is important, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Now, some of you guys are thinking, Matt, are you going to talk about circumcision in your first sermon as a senior pastor? And the answer to that is yes. Are you ready? Now, I want you to imagine this moment, not like in graphic detail, but I want you to imagine this moment. Joshua says to all the ladies, hey, you guys can go back to your tents. I want to talk to just the boys right now. So all the fellows come close, and and Joshua says, all right, guys, good news and bad news. Good news first, God's given me the first strategy to taking the land. And all the guys are like, yeah! All right, here's for the bad news, the not-so-good news. Everyone needs to sharpen your knives. And everyone's thinking, like, you don't bring a knife to a sword fight, so how's that going to work? And he says, because all of you guys are going to be, get ready for it, you're going to be circumcised today. And you know, someone in the back was like, can we all just get, like, matching tattoos? Like, is there, <laughs> is there an option? Like, can we all get, like, earrings? Maybe, like, a WWJD, what would Joshua do, bracelet we all wear? Like, is there any option to this? But there wasn't. So the question for us today is why circumcision? All right. So if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents later on. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) So why circumcision? All right. So this goes back again 450 years to God's covenant with Abram. When God speaks to Abram and they they make a covenant together, this is going to be God's special family, right? He's like, from, a- from Abraham, like he said, your descendants, like you're going to, I'm going to bless every nation of the earth through you and your family. I am covenanting with you. We are going to be like together in this for all of eternity. It's going to be me and you together. So the sign of that covenant was circumcision. It was the outward sign of what God had placed in the heart of Abraham and what Abraham was going to, to accomplish uh, for God. And so it was the outward sign of this inward covenant they had made together. And you can think of it kind of like if you're married, you might be wearing a wedding ring today, right? It's kind of like, in, in some ways, a ring, where it's an outward expression of an inward commitment, right? And so Abraham was saying, I'm going to have an outward expression of a, of a decision I've made on the inside that I'm going to follow God. I'm going to belong completely to him. Now, when Jesus was asked, Jesus was asked, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And he was quoting from a passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. But later on in Deuteronomy, God would kind of echo the same thing again. And listen to what he said. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So what God is saying is, listen to me, like circumcision is not just about the outside. That's the visible sign of the inward, the, the circumcision of the heart, right? And what God is saying is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut everything off your life, everything out of your heart that will keep you from loving me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And so for the nation of Israel, this was the outward sign of that commitment, that God is going to remove anything from my life that would keep me from loving him with all that I am. These people were God's people. They were consecrated. They were set apart for God. And so when that day when, when Joshua says we're all going to be circumcised because God says that's what we're going to do, what God was saying to them is, I'm going to, I'm going to consecrate you to the original purpose I had for this family. 
this family is for my glory. This family belongs to me. This family is holy. It's set apart for my purposes, set apart for the destiny that I have for it. When I was in high school, I've mentioned before, but I wrestled in high school. This guy down here is a wrestler, right? Raise your, raise your hand, buddy. Okay, he's a good wrestler. I was not a good wrestler. Okay, so um, I wrestled two years in high school, and my second year, not because I was good, I, but I made the varsity team because they had someone that needed someone to fill that gap at this certain weight class, and so I was that guy. So, um, so we had kind of a cool like entrance every home match, right? We'd, the other team would come out and they would they would kind of wrestle around on the mats and get warmed up. But when it came time for us to come on the mats, they would we'd be on the side. The lights would all go dark. This light would come up over the little center ring, you know, the little circle in the middle, and uh, and then all of a sudden ACDC. It was always ACDC. I'm not sure why, but um, like TNT would come on, just blast, and it's like. Poof. And we'd all come running out of the side and we'd all start running around the circle. I'm not sure why we did this, but we all ran around the circle. And then we'd come in the middle and we'd all wrestle and get warmed up and the music's pumping and I would get so excited and I'd be like, tonight's my night, man. I'm going to do so awesome. I'd be so fired up, right? And then I would walk out onto the mat when it was my turn to wrestle and I would see my opponent and he had like muscles that were eating muscles. They were like, it was like, it was crazy. And so I'd walk out there and we'd go to the center of the ring, you know, and I'd look at him real mean. It was like the last time that I could like in any way intimidate him because right after that, it was going to be like over. So, um, <laughs> so I'd like slap his hand, like I'm not going to even shake your hand. And uh, the referee ref, ref blow that whistle. And when he did, like I would see lights almost immediately because I'd be spending my whole season on my back <laughs> and I'm um, getting pinned. <laughs> so I, I say all that to say this. So in that moment, did I lack drive? Nope. Did I lack intensity or like passion? Nope. Did I want to win? Absolutely. I was embarrassed to not win. I like winning. I hate losing. And so did I lack anything I needed to win that match? I mean, I did, but it was about like 10,000 hours in the gym that that guy had spent that I had not spent in the gym. See, he won that match every time because he had done more on the front end than I had done. What I lacked was preparation for the moment. So when I came into that moment, I had all the heart, but I hadn't prepared like he had prepared. That kid had been wrestling since he was like three months old, right? Like he came, he came out and was like immediately like that, you know, like, but that guy came in prepared in a way that I was not prepared. And so he beat me. Now in this moment in Joshua 5, what God's calling these people to is preparation, He's saying, listen, it's not about your hand-to-hand combat. It's not about you being the strongest. It's not about you having the most endurance. The main thing you have to do to prepare for what's coming in front of you is you have to set yourself apart, consecrate yourself for my purposes. Remember in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7? Remember last week? God says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. So what God was saying is, if you will set yourself apart from all these nations that are here, if you will walk in a different way than all these nations walk, if you will obey my commands, I will promise you that you will be successful wherever you go. So what God is saying in this day in Joshua 5 is consecrate yourselves because consecration comes before conquest. Consecration 
comes before conquest. If you're going to move forward in whatever, whatever God has for you, so whatever you're facing right now in life, whatever this new season is for you, whether you're walking into marriage, into, into uh, adulthood, you're kind of leaving college and getting into the business world, whatever it may be that you're facing right in front of you, you need to know this, that God calls you to consecrate yourself for his purposes. And consecration should come before conquest. And it always comes before victory. Amen? God wants us to be set apart for him. Now, this is a, a pattern we see in both the Old and in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3 says this. Paul says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. It's stirred up because these things exist in the people of God. And so what Paul's saying here is, listen, consecrate yourself. Live different than everybody else. I don't care what your coworker does. I don't care what your family member does. I don't even care what your spouse does. Your life should be different. Students, when you walk down the halls at school, your life should look different than everybody else you're walking around. If you claim to know and serve Jesus, your life should be marked by the character and holiness of God. And if it's not, then question your salvation. Right? Doesn't the Bible say examine yourself to see if you are in the faith? Examine yourself. If your life has not been changed by what God has done in you, Examine yourself and acknowledge that maybe what I have in God is not real. Can we just be honest? There are a lot of people that are in church every Sunday morning and they sing all the same songs that we all sing and they lie the whole time they're singing. Because they say things with their mouths that they do not mean in their hearts. They sing things like, you can have it all, Lord, except that thing and that thing and that girl and that. No. Listen, we should be examining ourselves to see where do I really stand in all these things. And let me say this. You can't make yourself a really awesome Christian, right? You can put on the appearances, but if you, if you want to really walk holy and really serve God in a way that honors him, you're going to need some help. And it's not my help. It's not Dwayne's help. You're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You're going to need help. There's a great story in the book, of, uh, the, book the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. C.S. Lewis is one of his Chronicles of Narnia books. I'm going to show a couple of clips behind me. But in this story, we see a kid named Eustace. And Eustace is kind of this punk kid who kind of comes on the scene and... and uh, and he, he stumbles into like a dragon's hoard, a dragon's lair with all this treasure. And as he begins to pick up this treasure, he begins to put it on. And C.S. Lewis writes in the book, he says, that, he says that Eustace becomes on the outside what he already was on the inside. He said he was greedy like a dragon. And so Eustace becomes, he turns into a dragon. And so Eustace begins to fly around and finally he gets the people that are with him to realize that he's Eustace and not this crazy dragon trying to kill him all. But in this time, though, Eustace is, is powerless to remove his scales and to turn back into a boy. He can't do it until one day Eustace 
comes face to face with the Christ character of the story, and his name is Aslan. There many things that you will face in your life that you are powerless to change, right? Temptations that you cannot overcome. There will be patterns of thinking that you just feel like, I cannot stop thinking this way, doing these things. I just feel like I'm powerless to get out of this. And you need Jesus to step into your life, just like the lion, Aslan, in this story, steps into Eustace's life. You're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to need to surrender to God and say, God, whatever it takes, would you do a work in my heart? Would you bring that circumcision of the heart? I can work on the outside stuff, but God, only you can work on the inside. And so we're going to need to surrender ourselves to God and patiently let his work be done in our hearts. Amen? So after all this, in verse 9, it goes on. I'm going to read a few more verses. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach, the shame of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. So what God was saying there is, I've removed the shame of your days in Egypt. And not only have you come out of slavery into freedom, but now you come out of this wandering in the wilderness into a land of victory that I've promised to you. And so he's saying, you might have been out of Egypt, but Egypt was still kind of in you this whole time, right? You were out of Egypt, but Egypt was still part of you until all that generation was removed and this new generation comes up. And when, he's, and when, they're, when they're circumcised, he says, we've renewed the covenant. So all that now is gone. This is a new day. Amen? Egypt was gone. In verse 10, it goes on. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and, ro and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna but the Israelites, uh, for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. All right, so we see in this passage, I want to start at the end and I'm going to work my way backwards, okay? So in this passage, we see the, the manna dries up. So for the last 40 years, they've been living off this manna, right? Manna means like, what is it? This kind of this bread that would kind of like just form on the ground and they wake up in the morning and there it was. And so they had this grace that God gave them all that time in the wilderness. But the day after they begin to eat the produce of this land that God promised them, the manna dries up and it is no longer there. And what God, I believe, is saying to them is, listen, you have a new responsibility now in this new land. You've, you come into a new era where you're going to begin to fight you're going to begin to, to wage war and go into victory that I have promised to you. And in this place, your level of responsibility is at a new level, and the grace you had before is gone. Now, for some of you guys today, like I, this is one of my kind of pet peeves, right, as a pastor. So give me a second to let me be a little bit whiny. Okay, so when people say statements like this, like, I don't go to that church anymore because I just didn't feel like I was being fed. Ever heard that? Ever said that? Don't say it. You don't want to say it. <clears throat> My first thought is, how are you serving somebody else? Because this is what happens. When you come to Christ, you will spend a period of time as a consumer, and you probably should in some ways, right? Where you will consume, and you will not most likely be a major contributor to the body of Christ. And there will be a season where it's like you have a lid that God gives you grace, but you're only going to go to a certain point. And when God begins to call you higher than that and say, this is a new season, I want you to come into a new level of responsibility, 
and of living on mission and of serving somebody else, you will hit a cap until you're obedient to move up. And so the grace that you had for that first season at some point is going to dry up and you may begin to feel like, I'm just not being fed anymore. Like we worship and I don't feel God's presence anymore. I used to always feel God's presence. You may need to ask yourself, okay, is God calling me to a new level in this season and I'm still stuck in a place of consumerism where I'm just kind of receive, receive, receive and not giving anything? Because when you begin to give, it's going to raise your lid. Right? How many of you have had that experience? You begin to serve somebody else, and all of a sudden, your capacity to know and experience God went to a new level. So if you're in a place where you're feeling like, you know what, I'm not really being fed, or I, I just want to experience God like I used to, you might need to ask yourself, who am I serving? Who am I discipling? Who am I mentoring? How am I putting out now what God's put in me? And as you begin to do that, it's going to raise the lid and invite more grace into your life. Israel was done with manna because they were at a new level. And God was saying, you're responsible now to not only step into this land, but to work the land and glean from the land. It's a new day, right? So for some of you guys, we're going to have tables in the foyer after service, right? You need to go out and join a team. You need to go out and get to work. You've been consuming, and now it's time to contribute. You've been consuming, and now it's time for some conquest. Move forward. Stop sitting where you're at. Stop just receive, 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 and move forward into what God has for you and has called you to even do in this next season. As you do, the lid's going to go up and grace is going to flood in. Amen? There'll be new grace for that day. It's going to be awesome. Amen? All right. Now, before it said that, it talked about the Passover dinner they had together. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. And they're going to begin to serve the, the elements of communion because communion is a Passover moment. It's not a full meal, but it's a moment. And it comes out of places in the scripture where, where Jesus had, had uh, this meal with his disciples. It was kind of the last supper, the last meal they shared together. And they were taking Passover as a meal together. Ushers, you can begin to serve. As they do... Just hold on to the elements that you're going to be given. But I want you to imagine yourself as these Israelite, these Hebrew people coming into this brand new land. And the first thing they do corporately all together is share this meal of Passover. And they would have been thinking back to what their parents and grandparents told them that when we were in Egyptian slavery, Moses came in and God did these 10 miraculous plagues. And the very last one was, was the death angel coming to take all the firstborn. So Moses told us, and they would, have been, they would have heard these stories. Moses said that if we were going to escape this judgment, we had to kill a Passover lamb. And we had to put blood on the top and on the sides of our doors to our houses. And when the, when the death angel came by, he would see that blood and he would pass over that home and everybody inside would be spared, right? So this night they sat down and shared this meal and they would have been reminded of what God had done for them to bring them out of Egypt, how God spared them, how God brought them out miraculously, of how God brought them to the Red Sea and then part of the waters for them to come through. They would have seen their story in the elements they held in their hands. Today, 
we have a Passover lamb. Amen? In fact, Paul refers to Jesus as our Passover lamb. That his blood was shed for you and I. That when we were meant to be and we were living under the wrath of God, we were destined for punishment. Amen? We were headed for a Christless eternity in a place that is real, a place called hell. And Jesus Christ offered his life. He was nailed to a Roman cross in our place. The punishment we deserved, he took for us. The life we could not live, he lived for us. He went to a grave and was raised three days later to the glory of God for us. These people were saved because they trusted the blood of that Passover lamb. For you and I, if you are in Christ, you've been saved because you trusted the blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus. Amen. If you've received, you can stand up. In Luke 22, starting at verse 14, when the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you that he was broken so that we could be made whole. We thank you that he took upon himself the punishment that each of us in this room deserved. We thank you that you showed your extravagant love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, thank you for your body broken for us. Let's take the bread. Going on, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, right? It's a sign of the new covenant, just like Abraham's old covenant, in my blood, which is poured out for you. One more, guys. Nope, it's not one more. Thank you. I thought we had one more there. So hold in your hand this cup. We trust the blood, amen? amen? The blood of the lamb. If you're in Christ, all the old stuff is gone. Everything has become new because of the blood. The wrath of God removed from our lives because of the blood. Eternal life secured in Christ because of the blood. Jesus, we thank you for the blood. We thank you for giving your life in our place so that we could know and love and have life in Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your blood. Let's take it. Isn't God good? Praise God. Step into uncharted territory this week. See what God will do for you. If you've never been to prayer meeting, that's a great uncharted territory to step into, right? Wednesday night, 
7 o'clock. Otherwise, have an awesome day, guys. Go out, sign up for a team, get involved in a group. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night. Have a, have a good one.